Welcome to the Identity Trust Pulse, where you can hear the latest trends and insights from the fraud and identity industry, and find out more about minimising fraud risks to our organisations. How confident are you that you really know your customers when they're new to your business? Identity theft and account takeover have bearing for both victim and business, and it can take months or even years before the activity is discovered. I'm your host today, Pratik Chaudhary, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Siobhan Dolan, Fraud and Identity Solutions Consultant at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, and together we'll explore how to catch an identity fraudster. Firstly, Siobhan, welcome and thanks for joining. How are you? I'm well, Pratik. Thanks for having me on today. Good to have you on. Thank you. So, Siobhan, let's, let's get to it. So, first of all, identity theft, where fraudsters steal and assume a customer's profile to carry out fraudulent activities has been one of the most common types of fraud for many years, right? As far as back as we can think. How exactly do fraudsters steal someone's digital identity? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, this type of fraud comes from some flavor of account takeover. And account takeovers have numerous methods uh, for happening. Mostly when a person's email or their telephone number become compromised, those are the easiest access points for a fraudster or some other type of malicious actor to assume the identity. And it's only a slice of the identity. They assume a slice of the identity of this person as that person in their digital representation. So who are the victims of identity theft? Well, unfortunately, it's all of us. Uh, Most people with a presence on the Internet have had their user credentials breached, stolen or attempted to be compromised from one of the many breaches that have occurred over the last decade or more. So the problem is quite pervasive and none of us are really safe from this. And there, there's a, a few methods that we can use to make identity theft and especially aspects of our digital identity theft more difficult. The first thing is that we can use uh, unique passwords or passphrases or pass keys, which is a latest innovation in security methods, and make sure that we're not reusing passwords for our different online accounts especially ones that have sensitivity around them, such as perhaps our utility bills or our banking statements or our health providers. Those extra sensitive accounts with health, financial and property ownership details should really be safeguarded with unique identifiers and enabled with a second factor of authentication for each access. If a user has MFA, multi-factor authentication, enabled for the majority of their accounts, that can deter a large swath of attempted fraud. And our true cost of fraud report recently, which we launched, has shown an increase in the volume of synthetic identities, which you talked about earlier, across many regions, including EMEA, LATAM and APAC. Can you tell our listeners what are synthetic identities and why they can be much more difficult to detect? 
Sure. Yeah. Synthetic identities are essentially unreal persons which have credit files. So this occurs when a fraudster steals slices of identity data, potentially from different real people. And sadly, those people can be dead or alive. And the fraudster uses those slices of these different identity pies to create this Frankenstein identity. So I might use, if I were a fraudster, I might use your name, Pratik, but I might use somebody else's mailing address. And I might use a phone number that I've just connected with a virtual service. So the identity details may be legitimate and they may be verifiable as real, However, those identity details together as a comprehensive representation of a supposedly real person, that's where the synthetic identity comes from because all of these disparate details have been used as a single identity. Also, the credit files for these synthetic identities tend to be small. They perhaps do not have a length of credit history, perhaps they're less than three months, less than one year. Uh, one of the interesting things that our tools can find are relationship gaps on identities. So if an identity is associated to a given address, more than likely there's going to be several other individuals uh, associated to that address legitimately say parents or siblings or college roommates or pick a living situation that is common for most of us. There's likely to be connections and pivots off of that physical address, but likely associated to different email addresses and potentially different phone numbers. But that physical address is associated to multiple people. And so if that physical address that's being used by a synthetic identity is normally associated to a set of people, we can see that that synthetic identity is only recently associated to that real address, and it doesn't have any other consistent history for that physical address. So this could be an indication of synthetic identity as well. And as I said before, with that Frankenstein of identity traits, these synthetic identities do not have a vast identity presence. A synthetic identity is not going to have a LinkedIn profile. They're not going to have, you know, a MySpace presence from way back in the early twos. They're not going to have Facebook. They're not going to have a lot of accounts associated to them. They're basically only being used to farm this false credit line for this synthetic identity for the fraudster to defraud the financial institution that saw this credit application come through, which is how synthetic identities are created in the first place. Mary Shelley was uh, writing the great novel in the 21st century. It would definitely be about synthetic <laughs> IDs. Really interesting. I, I would definitely be uh, terrified of that, uh, that story. <laughs> definitely. Uh, interesting. Okay. So, how can businesses then around the globe be sure they're dealing with 
a real person, a genuine person, right? And not a bot, not a synthetic ID, or even not a not a fraudster. How can businesses start to trust their customers? Sure. Well, businesses can trust their customers who, as of yet, have not presented any risky behavior. And businesses can also double check their evidence. So it's kind of like the peer review process in uh, peer reviewed journals, uh, you know, scientific journals or any other uh, credible source. You want to have multiple eyes looking at this. And one of the ways that they can have peer reviewed evidence of trust is participating in the global digital identity network that we maintain here at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. So that's one great way of ensuring that they are dealing with a genuine identity with a known good device that has not yet been jailbroken or rooted or had any other spoofing done to it. They can know that these identity details are not associated with confirmed fraud from the digital identity network. So we can look at the person's comprehensive representation within the network. So like the person details, name, address, phone number, email address, etc. We can look at their device information, whether we've seen that device before and when and through what lens and under what conditions did we see that device. And we can also look at pattern analysis. So if there is cursor movement on the screen and it doesn't look like jagged movements representing potentially a virtual presence, we can say that there is a real person on the other end of this device based on the movement of the cursor or the cadence of the data entry on a form page. So we get down to pretty excruciating detail when scrutinizing transactions. So taking advantage of all of those data points is how businesses can have greater levels of assurance that their customers are legitimate, trustworthy, and deserve the best possible experience. Whereas if a customer has not crossed those thresholds, perhaps greater restrictions are appropriate until that identity proves itself to be uh, trusted consistently throughout the network. The detection of bots is really table stakes when it comes to the digital identity process. Bots are only going to increase in becoming a problem as the expansion into the cloud uh, deepens in the coming years. So a bot fundamentally looks different in a digital transaction than a real person. Bots often are automated. And so that automated pattern can be detected and people are not quite so predictable. And so anything that is behaving like a machine given automation or the presence of virtual machines, the fact that the device does not move, uh, such as like there's no gyroscopic changes in the mobile device, that kind of thing. And the repetition of seeing the bot entity 
across the network or in spikes. Those are very easy things to look out for and screen out based on the bot behavior activity and proliferation throughout the network, because likely a bot is not just attacking one target. There may be multiple targets of that bot on any given day so that the fraudster can avoid looking like a denial of service through their bot. Right. So how can companies work together to better detect fraud? Yeah, I love this question. Companies can open their ears and listen for signals that come from LexisNexis Digital Identity Network because there are going to be early signs of compromise. And what we can do with those early signs of compromise is essentially send out a warning signal to LexisNexis Digital Identity Network saying that this email has been involved in a compromised or a high-risk transaction recently from this given industry and under these given conditions. And so the businesses can listen. The, the network always is talking. The network is always reading and it's always reading out what it has read from these digital transactions. So these companies that are interested in taking advantage of the real-time intelligence that comes from LexisNexis Digital Identity Network, they can really just open a, open a channel and listen because the data is already in there. The signals are already coming. And if we need to dive deeper, our data scientists and our professional services organization are also able to look at wider patterns and deeper levels of breadcrumbs on any given data point or set of data from a transaction and kind of follow those details spider webbing out within the network. And we can see the global digital breadcrumbs that have been left by any data point. And so we can follow that data point to the earliest seen instance of the network, given some timing constraints, we can only look back so far. But we as a data science and professional services shop can do deeper analysis, uh, which is how we can come to see that fraud was actually likely perpetrated before it was declared and found. And so doing this additional layer of research and statistical analysis, we can see that businesses should have been on alert before they actually became alerted to a risky transaction. And in doing that research, we can benefit the network uh, in real time as we do that analysis. So when any one company contributes, all companies benefit. Lovely. Thank you so much, Siobhan. Thank you for being with us and thanks for answering all our questions and giving and us sure. insight into how businesses can safeguard against potential fraud. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Great. Thank you for listening, everybody. For further information on leveraging LexisNexis Digital Identity Network to counter fraud, visit the link in the description.
and stay tuned for another episode of the Identity Trust Pulse podcast. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to and shall not be used as legal advice. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely those of the speakers and don't necessarily reflect the views or position of LexisNexis Resolutions. LexisNexis Resolutions does not warrant that the information provided in this podcast is accurate or error-free.